Well, we are starting a new series today called Unoffendable, and we're gonna deal with the issue of anger and offense. Uh, we'll be in Philippians chapter two if you've got your Bible, if you wanna open up your Bible app to Philippians the second chapter, we'll get there in just a bit. We'll be in the series all uh, the month of June, and I'll be teaching all of them, and then we're gonna move into uh, Philippians during the summer, excited to do kind of, we often do that during the summer, do a, a, a flyby, at least a 30,000 foot flyby, we won't do it verse by verse, but topic by topic through the book of Philippians, and that'll start in July, but I'm excited about this series. Um, we got the name Unoffendable from a book that uh, I think was mentioned last week, but by a book by a, a guy named Brant Hansen. And uh, I read the book, my son, my oldest son, Nathan Boob, actually recommended it to me. And once I started reading it, I couldn't put it down. And I read a lot, I'm, I'm, I read an awful lot. And I read this book quickly. And in fact, last weekend I was traveling and spoke out of town and on the airplane and in the airport, I read the entire book again from cover to cover. I didn't just skim the stuff I highlighted, read the whole thing over again. It's probably my top 10 books of all time. It's well-written, it's funny, and it's insightful, and it's an easy read. And we actually have some of the information table. We're just selling them at our cost if you want to pick some of them up. But the reason why I probably related to this book quite a bit is because I'm one of those guys that's fairly easily offended. I come from a long line of Slavic people. And my great-grandfather was Bohemian, not gypsy Bohemian, but from Bohemia, which is now part of the Czech Republic. My great-grandmother was Polish, and um, it's probably an unfair characterization, but my people, I'll call them my people, tend to be loud, pugnacious, and easily offended. And uh, if you know me, you know that's a pretty good description of me at times. But when my grandparents fought, and they did so often, it was brutal. And you learned to duck and cover quick if you, it was a matter of personal survival, just Get out of the way, because they were going to go at it. And it wouldn't take my own dad much at all for him to be thrown into a, a fit of rage. In fact, I remember, you have scary memories as a child. One of mine is go, driving home after church. My dad was a pastor, so he stood up and preached and, you know, did his spiritual thing. We got in the car, and I don't know why, what happened, but my dad was angry. And uh, this is, we did this big boat of a car, big Buick, probably, or Cadillac. No, my dad, I don't remember, it was just huge. And this is before they had seatbelts. I know, it's unbelievable. But they didn't, if they did have seatbelts, we didn't use them. In fact, the seatbelt that my mom used was this, because you know, you know, some of you know what that means. She would just kind of you know, put her hand in front of me. I always sat in the front, or my sister did, but usually it was me. So my three siblings are in the back, I'm in the front, my mom and dad are arguing with each other, and they're spitting, arguing. I mean, I've got ear wax and water and everything all over me, it's just a disgusting. And they're yelling, and my dad turned the Buick into this Indy 500 car. And when he was angry, he just drove like a madman. And he's going like 90 miles an hour in a 25 zone, going around corners and all. And my mother's screaming, George, you're gonna kill us all. And anyhow, that's my dad. He would have these fits of rage, and that's just one. In fact, the term road rage was something I understood long before it became fairly well known in our culture. Sadly, as they say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, at least not where I'm concerned. Our very first apartment, I put my fist through the wall. I was so angry with my wife. I never hit her, but I did actually put my fist through, it was a cheap wall, but I put my fist <laughs> through the wall. Um, I'm on my way to church not too long ago. On my way to church. I'm not, I'm gonna be honest. I'm driving down Bowdish, and there's this kid on a, an oversized kid on an undersized bike, kind of humorous actually. And I could tell from a distance that he's all over the road and he's got, uh, I think, noise cancellation headphones on, white headphones. If he, it happens to be your kid, I love him, but I just want you to know, I was a little irritated because he's in and out of the bike lane all over the place, listening to his headphone, and again, as he's pedaling along on his little bike, and I came up behind him, and he's still weaving in and out, so I went wide, wide left of this guy, as far as I could, 
And as I just got next to him, I didn't want him to veer in front of me, so I gave him a little toot. It wasn't a, it was a toot, just a little, hey, I'm here, dude. Just want you to know, because I don't want to kill anybody on my way to church today. And uh, I, you know, he kind of moved out of the way. I think I startled him, but 20, 30, 50 feet down the road, I happened to look in my rearview mirror, and I get this. It wasn't that finger either. It was, I, <laughs> he flipped me off. And I tell you, I went from concerned about this kid, a little frustrated with this kid, to angry in like 90 seconds. I was just furious. I was so mad. Slammed on my brake. And I rolled my window down, and now he's pedaling as fast as he can, and he's going as far as he can away from me, because I'm sure he thinks he's afraid I'm going to shoot him or do something stupid. And I yelled at him. I didn't swear at him. I just yelled at him about being an idiot, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And he drove on. And, he, it was, and then, of course, he went the same way I'm going. I'm sure he's thinking I'm following him now. It's one of those things. I want to be this guy. I really want to be this guy. Happy, a little goofy. All too often, though, this is what I look like. It's right there. Yeah, that is. That's me all too often. Now, if you're like me, the idea of being unoffendable, of not getting easily angered, uh, is either one of two things. The most impossible thing you've ever thought about. Like, yeah, that's never gonna happen. Or the most ludicrous thing you've ever heard. It's like, well, that's just stupid. Why would I wanna not be offended? As Brant Hansen points out in his book, some of us are offended by the very concept of being unoffended. And he's right, we are. But here's the big idea. Here's what I want you to take home today. You can choose to be unoffendable. If you're like me and you come from a long line of easily offended, angry people, it will take time and work and a lot of help by God. But you can choose to be unoffendable. In other words, you can make a choice to not take offense and to not get angry when someone does or says something mean or unfair or stupid about you or to you. You can choose to be unoffended. In fact, uh, in Christ, because of Jesus, and if you're a Christ follower, uh, you don't completely understand what I mean by this yet, but we walk in relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says that because of him and because of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we have inner power. We have the ability to do things that we could never do on our own. And through his power within us, we can let go of the belief that we are entitled to be angry when we're wounded, abused, or treated unfairly. In fact, here's the beauty of our walk with Christ and our walk with, with, with him of faith and what the Holy Spirit does is he's transforming us. He's changing us from the people we once were into someone that looks a lot more like Jesus. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, you've heard me say this before. The, the word meek does not mean weak. The word meek does not mean weak. It means power under control. If you're taking notes, jot that down. Meekness in the Bible simply defined means power under control. It does not mean weakness. And for the record, though, and I need you to understand this right from the beginning, meekness, anger, and rage do not coexist together. You can't be meek and easily offended. You can't be meek and angry and have fits of rage. It's not possible. And Jesus said, blessed, happy, you're fortunate. This is the goal. Be meek. Not weak, but meek. Had you turn to Philippians chapter 2, let's take a look at uh, verse 1. Philippians 2, verse 1. We'll unpack this passage again in uh, oh, probably about a month or so. But here's what Paul wrote. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common uh, sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul's appealing to the church in Philippi to be united, to be of one heart and mind, to be uh, connect, connected together in a meaningful and powerful way. Then he 
moves on and he gives very practical instruction. Verse three, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Let me insert something right here. Do you realize how radically different our world would be if everybody just lived this one verse? Just one verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Imagine how that would impact the, the political nature of our, you know, our culture right now. Or vain conceit. Imagine how that would change the working relationships you have, the relationships you have in your families. In humility, value others above yourselves. Talk about a radical way to live. But this is the call. This is what Christ wants us to do. Not looking out to our own interests, verse four, but each of you to the interest of others. So it's not all about me. Surprise. In fact, I need to put the interest and the needs of others before my, my own needs. Verse five, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then Paul describes what Jesus was like, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul says, be like Jesus, who in fact came from the glory of heaven and, and surrendered all of that to become a servant and a slave, humbling himself to serve us. I wanna to suggest to you that to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain um, conceit and to value others above ourselves means that we must do what Jesus did as we love one another and we need to be humble servants. And selfless, humble servants are unoffendable. Let me say it again. To be selfless, to be otherly focused, to put the needs of others before your own is to be unoffendable. Humble servants are unoffendable. I mean, can you imagine a humble, gentle, and loving person being filled with rage? It, even just common sense. Set aside what you may or may not believe about what the Bible says. Common sense says, no, you can't be humble and filled with rage at the same time. I read something this last week, kind of, I was doing research, obviously, on anger and rage, and, and I found they've got this whole new thing now called rage yoga. Anybody heard about it? Rage yoga. It's, it's, I guess some chick in Calgary started this after a breakup, nasty breakup, and the whole idea with rage yoga is it involves screaming, swearing, drinking, and listening to heavy metal. <laughs> Might be kind of the thing you're into, I don't know. But can, does anybody, I mean, can you imagine, you know, this and you're screaming and yelling and, and having fits of rage? I don't think so. Raging yoga just don't seem compatible to me. But it has been suggested by some that we need to awaken the warrior within us. I wanna push back on that. Again, if you think about Jesus, who came as a humble servant. I wanna push back on that idea. And that the word, in fact, says that we're to humble ourselves. In fact, it goes even further. The Bible teaches us again and again that we're to mortify our flesh. That's the way the King James puts it. I kinda of like it. It means to put to death our flesh, our old nature. We're to put aside that old man, that old woman we were before Christ. Now, in Christ, in a relationship with him, we are absolutely perfect. God sees you perfect. I know it blows my mind, too. But when God looks at us, he sees us through the blood of Christ, and we're perfect. In position, we're perfect. In practice, how many of you are still working that out in practice? Yeah, we all are. But we cooperate. It's a work that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit where we put to death. We choose to put off, to mortify the flesh. The Apostle Paul taught this in Colossians 3, chapter uh, 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. 
put to death, put off, kill that old man, that old woman. And in several places in the New Testament, there are things that are used to describe, uh, a list that used to describe our earthly nature. Matter of fact, in Colossians 3, just a few verses later, Colossians 3, 8, here's what Paul said. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. So putting to death, mortifying the flesh means we, we get rid of, we make this conscious choice to remove anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Five things listed here, and the first two have to do with anger and rage. And we are told to rid ourselves, get rid of it, rid ourselves of such things. Here's another list Paul gave in Galatians chapter five, verse 19 to 23. The acts of the flesh. Again, when the Bible used that phrase, it means the old man, the old person you were before Christ, but that old nature that we still wrestle with. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and rich witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, there it is. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, Paul said, that those who live this way, who practice those things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. About 15 things are mentioned here. And fits of rage falls right in the middle of this list of things that we're to put off, that we're not to do. And just a couple of verses later, many of you have heard about the fruits of the Spirit. Here's the definition of, or the description of the fruits of the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look at those words again. The fruit of the Spirit, the way we are to grow, the goal, the end result of us growing to become mature in Christ is it looks like this, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did you know that anger is never listed as a fruit of the Spirit? Ever. But forbearance, gentleness, and self-control are. Now, some of you have been around for a long time. You've been listening to other preachers that you've, you know, read the Bible, and you say, wait a minute, I know the Bible says something about anger being okay. Well, let me read you Ephesians chapter four, which is probably what you're thinking of. Ephesians four, verse 26 says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And you think, aha, see, I knew it was okay to be angry. Many years ago, met with a couple. They both had terrible tempers. I mean, these two fought all the time. They'd only been married like five or six years. But they were throwers. They would grab whatever was close and just throw at each other. And I think she usually started, if, to be honest with you, she owned that. But in fact, they threw and broke so many plates, they started buying plastic plates and cups. By the way, they don't break, but they still hurt. So that was their nature, and, and they came for some help. And, and, uh, and they, they described their situation, and I said, you guys know the Bible says fits of rage, not okay? And it's not the way we're supposed to live, and that, in fact, when you go there, that you give the devil a foothold? You give them kind of a platform to have a place in your life. You don't want them there. Well, they thought, here was their response. Well, wait a minute. I, I thought it was okay to be angry as long as we didn't sin. I'm like, well, okay, let me explain some things to you. Paul is not saying that it's okay to get mad. Human anger is never okay. I'm gonna make a statement. You can disagree with me, and I know what some of you are thinking, but human anger is never okay. What Paul is acknowledging here in Ephesians 4 is that it's the reality and the fact that we do get angry at times. He's saying, yeah, it's gonna happen. But we've twisted that verse to accommodate our rage and we've forgotten the context of this very passage. Let me read on in Ephesians 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. I just love the Bible. And again, it just challenges the dickens out of me all the time. Because I think, man, is, that, is this last week, did I only speak what built people up around me? Did I only speak what was according to their needs? Did I help them? That it may benefit those who listen? Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Again, the Holy Spirit lives within you if you're a Christ follower. Don't grieve him with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, here it is. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. So in the very passage, some would use to say, it's okay to get angry. Paul goes on and says, no, get rid of that. The Bible does not say rage and anger are, are okay, but then contradict itself by saying, well, get rid of it all. Paul understood better than most of us that there's this battle raging within us. And on this side of eternity, the reality of that battle will always exist. Hopefully we get better, we grow in Christ, we become more like him. There are characters transformed from glory to glory. I can promise you, I haven't put my fist through a wall in 39 years, which is a really good thing. But we grow, we develop, that's the goal, but we still battle. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking back to this argument you had with your spouse or your best friend or your parent or your, you know, whatever, this week. And, and there's two extremes. On the one hand, they well, I was totally justified in that. Or I am totally a jerk. I feel bad about that. What I'm suggesting is the Bible's answer is, is gentleness, meekness. In fact, we're to set aside that old nature, that old person. And human anger, again, I'm defining it this way. Human anger is consistently presented in scriptures as something that is bad and a part of the old man, the old woman we were before our relationship with Christ. Take you back all the way to, to Genesis chapter four. Cain got angry at God, got angry at his brother, and he killed him. Anger never ends well. Anger never ends well. Human anger never ends well. And they well, makeup, you know, is really good. Well, that's completely, that's, that's when we can forgive and move on. But human anger it can be dangerous. In fact, it can be murderous. James 1, verse 19 to 20. Jot this down, let me read it to you. James says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, that's all of us, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Verse 20, because human anger, there's the phrase, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's the Bible. That ain't me. Human anger does not produce the righteousness, the right living, the, 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 the spirit of Christ, the love of Christ, the joy, the gentleness that doesn't produce that in you that God desires. Human anger does not make us like Jesus, and it never ends well. Now, there are examples. I know, believe me, I've had, I've had these arguments with God. I've had the same thoughts some of you are having. Well, wait a minute, you know, I know Jesus got angry. What about the time he went in the temple and turned it upside down and started cracking the whip? I mean, it, well, what about all that? And we, we want to go to righteous indignation. Well, for the record, I will be addressing that very issue next week. I'll talk about righteous indignation next week. But I wanna to suggest to you that when we deal with human anger, that the Bible says, don't go there. Don't be that person. In fact, Paul was onto something when he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. One of the great chapters, the love chapter. You've probably heard in weddings a thousand times. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Talk about consistency in the scriptures. It's not about you or me. It's not self-seeking. It's not, here it is, easily anger. It keeps no 
record of wrongs. You know how difficult it is to get mad when you've already decided you're not gonna keep track? I'm just not gonna keep records of wrong. I'm, oh, yeah, I just got wrong. Well, I'm, I'm not gonna keep track of that. I'm not gonna keep record of wrongs. It's not easily angered. In my experience, and maybe in yours, when I'm not self-seeking, when I'm not worried about me and my rights, and when I keep no record of wrongs, it's pretty tough to get angry at others. Throw back to that situation I mentioned earlier in the car where the kid flipped me off. Why did I get angry? Why did I, you know, and I, it, well, I was right and he was wrong and I can't believe he flipped me off and who's that little rug rat think he is and, and he's you know, being an idiot riding a bike and I mean, I'm going through all of these things in my head. I was worried about my rights, my reputation, my you know, righteousness, quote unquote, rather than worried about this kid. If I truly worried about him more than I worried about me, do you think I would have slammed my brakes on and yelled out the window? No. Let's have a conversation with my dear wife this last week, because Monday or Tuesday night, I took a walk. And uh, I have taught many times in relationship series on the value of affection, especially most women, most women, not all, but most women in a relationship, they value affection really highly. It matters a lot to them, and affection, as I've defined, is non-sexual touch. It's not groping, it's, it's, you know, it's gentle, kind affection for your spouse. We're taking a walk, and uh, she made this comment. She basically said, uh, I feel like my affection bank is pretty low. That's our language. You know, we talk about making deposits or withdrawals from the affection bank. And what she was saying is, you haven't been giving me enough affection. Well, because I'm such a godly man. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> I immediately began to defend myself. What are you talking about, woman? I gave you a hug this morning. And I'm recounting for her the, all the stuff that I did right and all the things and I, how I demonstrated affection. And I started to get offended. I was mad. I can't, we're taking a walk and here I am holding your hand, you ungrateful. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. And here, for the record, by the way, she was absolutely right. I had not given, I know my wife, really well, coming up on 41 years of marriage, and I know she needs a lot of affection, and I hadn't given it to her. But why did I get angry, why did I get mad? Because it was about me. How dare you accuse me of something? But then I remembered, to my credit, I actually did. Of course, I was working on this message, so that helps. But <laughs> it's not about being right. It's not about me. It's not about me, honey. Okay, I'll do better. What can I do to help? What can I do for you right now? So giving up our right to be angry makes us others-centered, makes us otherly. Giving up my right to be angry makes me focused on her rather than on me. Choosing to be humble, and that's a whole other topic, and we can, the Bible has so much to say. Do a word study, here's your homework assignment. Look up the word humble or humility. You'll be shocked how many times it's talked about in the Bible, Old and New Testament. Choosing to be humble and grateful, to have an attitude of gratitude, throws up, so to speak, we'll say holy water on the fire of rage in my soul. And again, we'll talk more about this in the next couple of weeks. As Hansen says, one last quote from him today. He says, anger is extraordinarily easy. Hello. 
Anger is extraordinarily easy. It's our default setting. Now that may not be true for you, but it's absolutely true for me. It's our default setting. And he goes on, he says, love, however, is difficult. But love is the miracle. Love is difficult. But love is the miracle. If you're madly in love with someone right now and you haven't been married or, you know, yet or very long, then I'm gonna tell you, after 40 you know, years, four decades of marriage, love is difficult. But love is the miracle as well. One last verse, Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Choosing to be unoffendable is not about ignoring wrongs. I know, again, believe me, I've had these arguments with God. Well, I just can't ignore that. It's, it's... Choosing to be unoffendable is not about ignoring wrongs. It's about loving others even when, especially when, we've been wrong. We choose what we wear. This morning when you got up, uh, most of you had at least a moment's thought about what am I gonna wear today? And I knew it was gonna be hot, I'm gonna be in shorts, and I'm going with a Hawaiian because I love Hawaiian, and I, I'm just, you know, I, it didn't take hours, but some of you it did probably. But I, you know, I, I made a decision, I'm gonna do this. I chose what I would put on today. That's how practical the Bible is. The Bible says you can choose. You can choose to put off the old, to put off the ugly, to put off the stained, to put off the anger, the wrath, the bitterness, and you can choose to put on, to dress, to clothe yourself with these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We choose. I wanna encourage you to choose wisely. One last story, we're done. Back last September, uh, last year, one of my heroes passed away. And I, uh, I love him dearly. He was part of my life for nearly 40 years. His name's Noel Campbell. You've heard me talk about him before. Some of you from Life Center, you know Noel and what his life meant to uh, so many. I was at his funeral and uh, was filled. The auditorium was just packed with people and, and story after story of how Noel had impacted life after life after life. Noel was a strong man. He, he was physically capable, I mean, he was 87 when he died, he probably still could have beat me at racquetball. But uh, all of his life, he was capable, he was strong, he raised seven kids, most of his life without a wife. Uh, his wife, Marty, passed away from cancer early on. And Noel was one of those guys that demonstrated better than any man alive. I thought about, you know, outside of Jesus, who do I wanna be most like? It would be like Noel Campbell. Because Noel Campbell demonstrated this meekness, that's not weakness, but this humility, this otherly thinking, this refusal to be easily offended and easily angered. In fact, his choice to be unoffendable. He demonstrated that better than any man I ever knew. And I was thinking about him this week and I was thanking God for the influence he's had in my life and the influence he's had on many others. And my challenge to you, my call to you is be like Jesus, but if you, if you can't relate to that, then think of somebody like Noel in your life and be like him or be like her. Bye, let me pray for you. Jesus, I, I know um, you lived this out. You were falsely accused. You were beaten. You were abused verbally, physically, emotionally. You were abandoned even by your best friends in your greatest moment of need. And so much, Lord, so much of what you went through, we, we can't even understand it. Our, our lives, as difficult as they may be, pale in comparison to what you suffered. 
And yet you were meek, power under control. You were kind. You were forgiving. You were humble. And you, John wrote that about you that, that you knew what was in the heart of man and, and yet you, that didn't sway you. That didn't distract you. You stayed the course. Lord, I pray for each of us right now, listening online or in, in this room, that you would challenge us today in our thinking as we walk through this series, that you would open our eyes and our mind, our hearts to the idea of being unoffendable. And for some of us, Lord, it seems it's impossible. I could never be that guy or that gal. But God, by your grace in you, through you, all things are possible. And Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to love like you. We want to put off the old and put on the new and walk in you. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And you might be thinking, oh, that's impossible. No way, I can't do that. I can never be that person. Or, or maybe you're thinking, well, when I get better and I change, then I'll become a Christ follower. No, don't get trapped into that thinking. The truth is, Jesus is the one who changes us from the inside out. It's when we come to him and surrender our life to him that we begin to be molded and shaped and formed into his image. And if you struggled with your past, struggled with your way, and you've finally come to a spot today where you realize, man, I really do need a Savior. I need God. I want his life in, in me, inside of me, in my heart, my mind. If you're ready to surrender your life, say, God, I, I'm gonna give up my rights, and I'm gonna choose to follow you. That, if that's you, then I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer, and I'm gonna ask you to make this prayer yours right now. Father, thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you that he died for my sins. Thank you that, that you sent him to be the humble, gentle Savior that he is. That he defeated death for me. And so, God, today, right here, right now, I surrender my life to you. I say yes to you. I choose you. Come live in me. And I want to live and walk in you. Now, if that's you in your heart, just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's what I want, that's what I need. And the Bible says the instant, the second you say yes to God, you become his child. You're his. I know there's a long journey. I know there's a lot of stuff that still needs to change in me too. But the Bible says that moment we say yes, we become his child. You're in his family now forever. You're his. Walk in that. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Let's stand together. Let's finish the song. I actually grown to love this song a lot. Part of it is thank you, Jesus. It's a good thing for us just to reply again in our hearts and say, God, thank you for what you've done. But let's finish in worship and I'll come back and wrap it up. I love that song. We come as we are. And all of the line says, in all my weaknesses, you're my confidence. Some of you are thinking, man, I don't know if I can handle this series. And you're thinking about not coming back. Come back. And I know the challenge. I Believe me, I have lived this. It's why I read the book twice. <laughs> because it's something that I, I've got to work through continually growing. In all my weaknesses, though, he's my confidence. Let that be true in your life this week. You've made the decision to become a Christ follower today. A couple things. One, uh, by the doors and baskets, there's a gift for you. A gift bag with Bible material. Get started walking with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Got a class at 11 o'clock starts today in the coffee chapel across the way. I encourage you to go to that. If you're not ready to do it today, then I think the next one's July 10th. So plan on going to that. It's for you. We want to walk with you this journey. 
you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. There's communion available on both sides of the room. Always there for you to take this morning if you'd like to. But here's my, uh, my hope, my prayer, my challenge, my admonition to you. Go this week. Don't do this. Don't say when somebody gets mad at you, Pastor Kurt said, honey, you're not supposed to get offended. That would not be good. <laughs> Better than that, choose to just live here. Do what you can in your own heart. And uh, pray every day. God, help me today to walk in meekness, which is not weakness. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today. See you next week.